Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the A3, the Academy podcast. I am Ryan Beckwith, your host, owner of A3. And today we are all here with heavy hearts together. There's a lot going on in the world today. Today is June 3rd, 2020. On top of the pandemic of COVID-19, the murder of George Floyd and the social unrest that is out there right now is on everybody's mind and everybody's heart. And today we wanna take the time to have some open conversations, conversations that normally you may not hear out loud, may not hear outside of a family or a circle of friends. And we felt it was our responsibility as friends and as family and as colleagues to sit down and, and have an open discussion. And hopefully, you are able to hear what's happening in this room today, in this podcast. It's very important to all of us that we have this conversation, that, that we're able to discuss what's going on in a heartfelt, intelligent manner. I'm going to go across the room right now and introduce everybody. First, we have Jen Wright, special guest today, Jen Wright. Hopefully, we'll have her around a little bit more. She is the owner of Immersion CrossFit here in Bakersfield, California. She has been in business now for close to 10 years. A phenomenal, phenomenal ride. She is a phenomenal coach, even better woman, great friend, and even been a mentor in the gym aspect of running a business. She's been an inspiration for me running my business. She's also an Army veteran. So Jen, thank you for being here. Justin Kelly, professional baseball player. You guys are used to Justin. Art Charles Jr., professional baseball player. Anthony Orange, better known as AJ or referred to as AJ on the podcast. If you hear us say that, we're talking about Anthony Orange here, professional football player, as said. Another special guest today, Reggie Bolton, a very good friend of mine, colleague of mine. Uh, we have grown into a, a much better friendship from being colleagues. Uh, Reggie has been a longtime college football coach and has turned his career into college administration. He has two young sons and uh, made that decision to move in that direction so he can be a little bit more involved with the sports aspects of his sons. And uh, I mean, just just the example of that alone for me, I have two very young sons, five and three, his are 19 and 15. And, and, uh, to see somebody make a decision like that is very inspiring for me. It's, it's, uh, it's a great example anyway, in, in my opinion for me and uh, Reggie is great to have you here. So let's go ahead and get this thing started. And again, please keep your mind open, keep your ears open, Let's hear this conversation. Let's talk about this conversation. These are conversations that I think that need to be heard. These are conversations that, that need to happen more often and not just in the comfort of a home or comfort in a friendship. I think these need to be loud. These need to be out there. And uh, well, let's just go ahead and get this started. Being muddied and distracted and complicated, and it's not complicated. Racism right. is wrong. And if we can just stick to that focus, and then when people talk about black men being murdered um, at the hands of those that are supposed to serve and protect, that's where it gets really complicated. Because, of course, we want to defend the police. You know, their, their job is to serve and protect. And because we're angry or upset or hurting 
is the main one hurting, hurting. because we're seeing people that look like our family, people that we love, people that look like our friends mm -hmm. being murdered. It's, it's unbelievable and it's gross and it really, it's a sensitive issue and people are at the point now where we know something has to be said, something has to be done. And when people do speak up, oftentimes they're met with defense. And that's where the area gets really gray or muddied or complicated, and we have to stick to the, the issue. Yeah. And then the other, and in that defense, people will say, well, we don't know that he killed him because he was black. Does that matter, though? Does right. it matter? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But what it's done is it's raised our awareness. It's heightened our awareness. It's heightened our awareness to what's happening, the problems in the system, and the fact that racism is wrong. And those are, you know, I don't want to say they're two separate issues, but violence against another human being is wrong, yeah. whatever. Racism is wrong, and we need to right. make that our focus. Agreed. Sorry. No, 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 that was great. <laughs> that was a great start. Um, so I think, yeah, I could just start it by saying, you know, uh, kind of heavy hearts here. Um, we're going to have a conversation about everything that's going on. Obviously, it's spurred by one incident in George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, but it's bigger than that. Um, and I think that's the conversation we want to have, and we'll just kind of go. Um, you know, one thing that I'll eventually say is, you know, going back to Malcolm X again, one of the things, and I'm, I may not get this exact, but one of the things that has always stuck with me, one of the quotes he had was, you are not supposed to be so blind with patriotism that you can't face reality. Yeah. Wrong is wrong, regardless of who does it or who says it. Right. But you say that and people probably think, well, was that Martin Luther King? No, that was Malcolm X. The right. one that everybody thinks was <laughs> violent. Right. No, yeah. he wasn't like that. Anyway, I could go on and on and on. One thing, like, it's funny you said that about Malcolm X, but it's like, you know, because everybody looks at Malcolm X and they see the picture mm -hmm. and it says by any means necessary. But what he was saying really yeah. is read the whole quote. You, you read the whole quote. <laughs> right. It's like when right. you really understand Malcolm X, the mm -hmm. dude was in his house protecting his family with a gun. He's right. saying protect by any means right, necessary. Right, right. Not, right. and when it, like you said, our officers, you know, and it's not all the police, it's the individuals yes. who have faulty character in those in those <clears throat> uniforms. Yes. But, you know, it says protect and serve, but they also law enforcement. The problem is they try to enforce the law by any means necessary, and that's not okay. And I think that's the point with, the, with, with law enforcement. They got to get, it's not okay to enforce the law by any means necessary. And what we witness in, is them forcing the law by any means necessary. That's different than Malcolm X. Right. He's saying protect yourself by right. any means necessary. Completely different mindset. But people want to, you know, they judge Malcolm X because, you know, they, you hear him make a statement, a militant statement or something like that and saying, go out and do this and don't take that. And it's automatically, oh, that guy's a radical. Mm -hmm. That guy's a threat. Well, he's yeah. only a threat because he's awakening people's knowledge right. about the situation. And I think that's what this George Floyd situation has done. It has made people go, that's not okay. Like right. you just said, I don't care how you look at it. And you mm -hmm. can look at it as racism. You can look at it as an implicit bias. You can look at it as uh, elitism. You can look at it as white privilege. You can look at it as you name it. It's mm -hmm. all, all that feeds into racism. And that's what people got to understand is we have to eliminate all those isms, mm -hmm. period. Ooh, that's a good that one. would change the way people think. And I'm hoping and that's what this does. And, and it, what's, what's encouraging to me 
is that the young the young generation is like this ain't okay no more yeah. right yeah. yeah no doubt yeah. this ain't okay because hey, that's where to me if you start talking about effective change it's the young people yeah. telling their kids that ain't okay so right. what white people should be doing is like looking at their kids going what this what that just ha that happened that's not okay right don't accept that nobody right. should be treated like that and then they'll tell their kids right then it'll change the problem is everybody wants to sit on the sideline like a fan and go uh that's okay but that ain't okay mm -hmm. and, pick and, choose. and pick and choose that's okay and, and we all you know we are all you know sports people we understand fans are fans mm -hmm. they gonna cheer when you when you do well and they gonna bash you when you do wrong mm -hmm. right stop being fans get in the game right no doubt <laughs> we're yeah. all players in here get in the game you and do something about it you just said like three things Matt, you might have to do some editing man <laughs> you're gonna have to throw all this all these tidbits back in <laughs> For, Jeez. for me, um, I guess my biggest fallacy to start it off would be holding your general public to a standard that your cops aren't exemplifying. When it comes to police brutality, knowing that if your cops are using this force that now you pick and choose, like you said, to where people on the far right are mad about the looting. Both sides agree no one wants the looting. No one wants any of that to happen. And that's a different set of people that are taking advantage of it economically. But that's not something that, okay, now violent protests are our first choice. My job, knowing my privilege, is a lot of layers to that. Grew up a white man. Grew up a white man that has African-American, Mexican people that can speak to my character. But also understanding we've been in locker rooms where I don't want to say it's never been ignored, but the common ground of it has made it to that is our goal to win. Our goal is to get these things done, so we look beyond all that. A, a frustrating thing for, I guess, for me knowing going forward that we have to learn and understand is another layer of common ground. Economically, I shared economically the same neighborhood, same schools, same dinners with black families but they were being judged. They were in trouble with the police more than I was. That's the conversation for me. I didn't grow up rich. I grew up, you know, divorced parents. I grew up with a lot of the same kind of problems you would have in any community, but I never had the conversation about police brutality because it didn't apply to me. It didn't, it wasn't a conversation that was about me and I didn't learn that until, you know, Right. It's sadly you you learn it later on. We were learning as all this stuff goes on. Not it's, getting it's a table in a restaurant or yeah. not being admitted into a club or I mean you can go on and on and on yeah. about things that we wouldn't normally experience because of the way we look. Yeah. You know, and that's that's part of it. And I think people equate the word privilege with easy. And so when people say white privilege, people receive it as, well, I'm white, my life has been easy. No. And that's, right. that's not the message. The right. message is there are conversations that you don't have to have when you're white. There are things that your moms don't have to tell you when you're white. I will tell you just a couple of things about my kids. Um, when my son comes home, we live in a predominantly white neighborhood and I've never let my kids walk to and from school. I pick them up and I bring them home. I take them to school, I drop them off. Recently, my 15 year old started, was wanted to start walking home from school. 15 years old, not 12, not 13. Right. He's 15 years old before I will even consider letting him walk home from school because I fear for who will misinterpret or fear the way he looks or accuse him. And so it's a safety precaution that us 
me as a black mother takes to protect my children. So when he wants to walk home from school, my first question is, who are you with? How many kids? I want to know. I want to know. And the sad thing is I don't want him with a bunch of kids that are going to be labeled because I, f I feel like they're going to be targeted and it increases the chances of my son getting hurt or getting in trouble. So it's sad that we want to separate our community because we're fearful of what could happen if we stick together. And then when he goes into the store, when he calls me, I'll say, call me when you get to the store. He calls me. All right, make sure that your hands are out of your pockets, that they can see your hands the whole time. Make sure you smile, make eye contact. When they, there's a whole list of instructions that my kids have to follow when they walk into a store. That's what privilege looks like for white people. They don't have to have that conversation with their children. They don't have to have the conversation of, if you get pulled over by the police, put your hands on the steering wheel. Be quiet, follow directions, make sure you're not viewed as a threat to them. And those are conversations that parents have in black families that other families that don't share that struggle will never understand. And that's privilege. And it's not saying that if you're white, you grew up in poverty or you don't grow up in poverty or you don't have hard times or right. you didn't struggle. That's not, that's not what it means. Right. It means that because of the color of your skin, there are certain conversations that you just don't have to worry about. Or because of the color of your skin, there are conversations that you have to make sure you have for the survival. And even then, it probably still won't be enough. Right. Uh, that's, and that's, I can speak to that as a parent, too. I don't know if you guys got kids, but it's like, I remember having a conversation. I just had the conversation with my sons last night. I got two boys, one 13 and one 19. Um, and the conversation, I remember my father saying this to me. And, the, and this is like years ago when I'm like getting ready to go to college. It's like, hey, listen, I don't want to have, I don't, I'm having this conversation with you because I want you to not have to have this conversation with your sons. And I was like, mm. at the time, so last night I'm thinking, I'm having these, I've had like four conversations with my sons about this same issue. Like you said, put your hands on the steering wheels when you drive the car, when, you know, do this, don't do this, don't do that. You got to understand this. The police is the authority. When they pull you over, say, yes, sir, I don't care who you with, because I've been in situations when I've been the only black person in the situation and everybody else is talking, but the cops talking to me, mm -hmm. you know, and he's pulling me out of the car. He's not pulling them out of the car. So you have that. Con and I thought to myself last night, man, I'm still having this conversation. And my father had this conversation with, you know, most 40 years ago with me. Mm. This is crazy, yeah. you know, and so that's and it's a tough conversation because you got to keep having it. Oh, I've had this conversation three times in the last four months. You know, Aubrey and the jogger, uh, Brianna Taylor, mm -hmm. and now and like, man, how many times? And then that's not even the. I mean, I'm, you, we talk about just that those situations. I just had the conversations with my sons about the pandemic and how it's affecting African-Americans at a higher rate than anybody else because we have pre-existing conditions. So we got institutionalized racism across the board in the healthcare system, criminal justice system, educational system. It's across the board. That's where people are frustrated. Mm -hmm. It's not just this isolated situation. This is what we see. But when you're black, you deal with it every day at all aspects. And when you're a black male, it is a serious amount of pressure because you can't fail mm -hmm. you can't fail and that's the pressure i i mean i feel it's like i was always in a position where i get the job when you're the first you better not screw it up because the next one ain't gonna get the opportunity yeah that's pressure that's pressure. most most white people don't face that pressure yeah so that's where the struggle and, the, and you talk about the frustration that people are are feeling right now a lot of black people feel that frustration because when we are first we can't screw up. Mm 
We don't get passes like everybody else. I watch people get passes, say whatever they want to people, and I just sit there and look, and I go, if I said that, I'd be. Look at the officer. The guy had 15 different counts on him. Yep. Mm-hmm. He got 15, 14 chances, 15 chances before that one. I never had 15 chances. You get 15 chances. You don't get 15 chances of doing your job the right way. Right. That's what people are frustrated about. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just senseless. Well, just articulating that, I don't think most people have even thought about that. And that's, you know, that's the biggest issue is when it comes down to it, I think that's the biggest issue is there's a misunderstanding. There's a miscommunication that people don't think about. And how long do we have to have these conversations? I mean, this isn't a new thing. We were just talking about it before we started recording. I mean, one of the biggest movements that we've had in our country in the civil rights movement was 60 years ago. 60. And we're still having them. Yeah. First, this, like, hearing all this information and all the stuff being said, it's giving me chills, like, literally throughout the conversation because with me, like, you know, my mom's white Mexican, my dad's black, right? So... At a young age, like racism was never a thing to me, you know, like I have my white, um, blonde hair, blue eyes, cousins, you know, mm-hmm. and I got <laughs> my Mexican cousins and then obviously my, my black side of the family as well. So like growing up, I didn't really have to experience the, oh, oh there's racism. You know, I was blind to it because I was always around everything. Right. But I still had the, the conversation with my dad and I didn't understand it because it was like, oh, Sheltered what are you by the talking family. about? Like I mm-hmm. have, I have my, you know, my cousins over here, my cousins over there. Like, like I, I didn't understand it at that time, right? But like, there's been many different instances, you know, throughout my life, where it opens your eyes, you know, and it opens your eyes to things, you know, as far as walking home, as far as you know, service at restaurants, as mm-hmm. far as being at clubs, and one person says something about you and you get kicked out the club and you're like, I've been sitting here the whole time. I'm with my teammates chilling. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, well, this person said they saw you doing something. I was like, well, if I said I saw them doing something, would you kick them out? Like, right. just because someone says something doesn't mean that's what I did. I've been sitting here, ask these people, you know? So like, there's been many instances in my, in my career, in my life where those things have affected me too. And then there's also one when I was little where, <laughs> I don't know like if you guys remember it, but there was like a, um, I was, I was little, I was like a, a child and I was with my dad, but I was with my cousins too. Right. And this, like, there was a black man who had like kidnapped some kids Yeah. and <laughs> they stopped my dad and they're like, get out, like, get out of the car, like everything. Because they thought my dad kidnapped all my cousins, you know, like he thought, they thought he was the guy. And they're like asking, asking me, asking my cousins, like, hey, do you know this man? Like all these things. And, you know, little kids, I mean, you can say like, oh, I don't know him or yeah, I know him or, you know, whatever. Right. But they were being rough, you know, rough with him and everything. And he's like, dude, like call this person. Like he, you know, obviously, you know, police call this person, tell him to come over here. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and just that situation alone is just one of those types of things. Like, oh, you match the description. Well, it's not me. You right. know, this is my son. This is our cousins and my family in the back seat. Like, you know, call someone, sir, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it just that kind of situation alone can put him in a situation to where like George Floyd, he could have been that casualty, you right. know? So it's a shame that everything is going on. Obviously, it's horrible that the looting and stuff is going on, but it still is horrible that there's black men and women being killed. Right. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. for, for, for things and mis- misinterpretations or, or situations to where, oh, you match this, this description. So 
it's it's got to be you yeah. you know and instead of asking that person have the conversation with that person or coming up to them and saying hey you know what like you know let me see your idea or whatever automatically it's hand yeah. on the gun like this is you you know i got to treat you you know rough or whatever you know and th those things are the things that have to stop yeah your dad man that he might be the most generous jovial nice like i i don't know if i've ever met a human as good as your dad like you're uh, it is mind blowing to hear that conversation to hear that hear that experience that yeah. your dad even had to have that experience cuz if any of you met art his dad just i mean the smile on that man's face when he meets anybody like mm -hmm. he makes you feel like your family immediately without even before even saying hello to the man you think that you've known him for your entire life like it is yeah, and those, those conversations and the things that are happening make me nervous too because yeah. I got little brothers you know and yeah. they didn't have to see everything I had to see obviously but they're going into professional baseball and a lot of the stuff that I dealt with was mm -hmm. while being a professional you know like yeah. you go to places and you I've, I've been <laughs> I've had some crazy experiences just to say the least you know and it sickened me and had me super frustrated because I'm like like, are you serious right now? You know, like this is this is what we're doing. This is how it is. Like, mm -hmm. and it was things that I didn't obviously experience all the time here in California, but going on the East Coast or going to different places, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I was gonna. Like, what is this? What is this? You I was actually saying? gonna ask you that because you've played all over the country, you've played internationally, and yeah. you know that was one of the questions I had. And Anthony, you too, uh, Justin, you too, and and then with your travels in the military and stuff. I mean, what? what do you um have you felt a difference i guess like you just mentioned california versus some of the other places i mean california let's be honest is not perfect and it it's happening here too um maybe not in your community as much maybe it has happened in your community here at home but you know have you noticed a difference throughout the country or internationally have you been treated any differently going other places uh yeah i mean it's it's happened like i said I've, I've been to i mean i've been down south to georgia you know mm -hmm. savannah georgia rome georgia um and just you know florida just different i feel like it's it's also pertaining to how people treat and how people view people in those areas in those regions i'm not going to say everybody is racist or there's racist people right. you know in just necessarily in those places but i experienced it mm -hmm. you know you have fans at the games yelling wild stuff you know, you got people, I mean, <laughs> people literally like I had a host family one year in New Jersey. This was 20, 2013. Mm -hmm. And we lived right next to a family. And and obviously the, that, that, that family took me in. Like, you know, I'd play with their kids and everything. So we'd race, we'd play baseball in the front yard, have fun. And the neighbor's kids would come by and play, you know. So I'm like helping them out, giving them tips, you know, just enjoying it and enjoying them, you know. And turns out like that family, the neighbors, the neighbors, literally the neighbors had some kind of issue with me. And I'm like, you know, like, okay, like I, I didn't know this, but then my, my host family, we went out one night mm -hmm. and this is just a, one of the, one of the more wild stories, but long story short, we went out one night with that family. It was one of the, it was a guy's birthday or something. And that family who lived right next door, the husband, like, he had some drinks, you know, and we're there, and, like, he just started saying, like, racial slurs to me. He called me, 
like I mean, just everything, everything. You know, mm. he tried to call me Jackie Robinson. He called me a monkey. He called me, he called me. The, you know, he dropped the n bomb on me. Everything, right? And I'm with my host family, and I'm like. I can't sit here and take this, you know? Mm -hmm. So I told my host mom, I was like, look, like I apologize to, to you right now, but this man is not going to sit here and blatantly say these things out loud to me, mm -hmm. around me, to someone else, whatever. He's not going to sit here and say these things, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got to say something. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit more escalated than that because I, I heard him, but I didn't know if I heard him correctly. Yeah. And then he looked at me and he started saying it and pointing at me. And I'm like, that's when the cool just went away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that was one one experience that was like probably one of the ugliest experiences that I've had. Just, and it was the next, next door neighbor, you know? So after that, it's like, how do I go about, there's still a season left to play. I was still staying at that house, you know? Yeah. How do I go about every single day sleeping? Or the next consequences to if you did something. Yeah, exactly. Right. And... There was a there, there was more to it, but mm -hmm. I mean, just to to keep it at that, you know, like this man had the audacity to sit here and try to say stuff to me, right. and I'm not doing nothing, right? You know, I'm I'm chilling with my host family, telling him happy birthday, sending him some drinks, like you know, like being being cool and cordial, yeah. and telling him like thank you for having me and stuff, and really he's out here coming at me like I'm you know like I'm like what the heck is that? I think one thing that can't get lost on this is the fact that you know people will be listening to this podcast you can't see art he's also six five six six <laughs> and that's a conversation too when when we talk about you know the murders that have gone on well he was a big dude i had to try to control him right that's that's not actually really what's going on right and i don't want that to get lost in everything that you just described the fact that you are that large of a man plays into account right because yeah. you could have done some damage if you wanted to exactly and mm -hmm. and it was to the point to where people around me who mm -hmm. were white other white people other mm -hmm. other um you know latino american people hispanic people they came to me and were like look like this dude is yeah. disgusting yeah you know and i'm hot i'm fuming at this point you know he's like this dude's disgusting this dude is you know like we can't believe him like and these are other people that live in the neighborhood around this house too that were celebrating with us you know and they're like we didn't know he was like this like you know what you need to to, to be the bigger person in this situation because this is going to affect you not him and that's you know? something i, I, I think jen's <laughs> i think jen's going to go on to this yeah. but this is my point that yeah. when you go back to like what what jen was talking about like if that happened to me I don't know that I would have been able to control myself and I don't have to, you know, do I have to worry yeah. about going to jail? Probably, but not, not in the circumstance, you know, so that's another conversation that like Jen and Reggie were just talking about that you also have to not only process this hateful, whatever it is coming at you for a, no reason whatsoever. At the same time, you want to talk about pressure, you, it's the same thing, right? Pressure. You also have to go through this entire process in your head of what happens if I react? What happens if I actually do the same thing back to this dude, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, I mean to, to, to have to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> and I think when you said that people came to you and said that that was wrong, he's disgusting. And I think this is what we're really talking exactly. about here. Yeah. They came to you. Me. And, and I think that this is where I know that Great this point. is where the responsibility lies on 
everybody that has this privilege. Such a great point. Don't come to the 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 person that's being oppressed. Don't come right. to the person right. that's being attacked. Go to the attacker right. and say that's wrong. Such we can't a good change point. racism. Such a good we point. We can't change Jen. it, but we can suffocate it. Yeah. And yeah. we can great say point. stop. And mm-hmm. we can say it's not acceptable. And we can tell them. We can put them in their corners right. instead of putting innocent people in our corners. Like we don't deserve 100%. to be in the corner. The right. racists deserve to be in the corner. And that's and that's my that was my question is did yeah. people instead of coming or in addition to coming to you and tell you that it's disgusting and gross, did they go to him and say yeah. that it's disgusting and gross? Because that is their role if they didn't. Yeah, and that's what it, and I was gonna get to that too. And I asked them, like, why are you coming to me? Right. Like, you know, and like Gosh. you said, I'm hot at this point. Oh, you God, know, I can't only imagine. I'm not in my right mind but yeah. I'm like still like why are you guys coming to me like I did something wrong mm-hmm. you know I didn't do nothing wrong I'm chilling mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you guys see me the whole night you know why Why am I the person being being approached and why am I the person getting held and all this stuff let, let go of me don't touch me you know and mm-hmm. so the fact that and I was going to say that too because my host mom was the only person who went up to that dude and was like, you, I can't believe you would say something like this. This guy's been nothing but great to you all night. And to your, your kids. kids. Yeah, <laughs> to your kids. Right. Like, this is disgusting. I don't. I cannot believe that you could even, like, she was going off on this man, right? And she was the only one out of, like, and I'm talking about a group of people. She was the only person, and she's a white woman, hmm. only person who went up to him and was, and was saying this stuff. And everybody else was holding on to me. You know, yeah. and 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 telling, trying to talk me down. You know, and that's how damaging it is to be complicit in this. That's the damage. And so when people yeah, say yeah. this isn't, I'm not racist. Everybody yeah. knows I love people. We get that. We believe that. Right. Like, that's not a question. Right. But what do you do when you see things like that? What do you do when someone comes up to you and uses the N word? What do you do when you hear side conversations referring to those people? What do you do? Yeah. You That's know, do such you, a and, huge and point, that is Jim. your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, and and this culture, our culture, is relying on people that have that voice and that ability to do that right now. And that's what we're begging for. Mm. That's what I'm begging for. Mm. For my sons. You know, I have a I have two boys and a girl and I'm begging people to, to just stop and understand that this is complicitness. Is guilt is guilty by association right. if you say nothing. And I think that's a great point. You know that no one's saying that everybody's racist. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, if you're not standing up for, it, if you're not in the moment, not on social media, mm-hmm. not two weeks later, mm-hmm. in the moment when it happens, who are you? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? And it goes back to Reggie's point: like get in the game. It's like those social experiments that they do. And when somebody's clearly doing something wrong and people just walk right by, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and then you have the the, the one or the two people who stop and say, no, look, look, you're not about to do this. This is wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, but why don't why doesn't everybody do that? Right. You know, and that's going back to your point, you know, like we can't we can't sit here and just keep allowing these things to keep going and allow and seeing these things, but not address it. Right. You know, things need to be said. You know, people need to stop, you know, acting like it's just everyday life, like it's normal. Right. Because it isn't. You know, some people have to go through these things and deal with the hurt, the pain, the frustration, the mental abuse, mm. everything, you know, and now also and also physical abuse that, that's going on, too. Right. So it's not just something that needs to be, you know, talked about. There needs to be action, too. Right. And I think that's where, you know, when we talk about education, 
education can't just be math, science, and English. No. Right? Yeah. I mean, it can't. It can't. It has to be. It has to be a better conversation. Yeah. Oh no, I just I just wanted to talk about my experiences yeah, for do. a little bit. Um, I just want to first start by saying like, seeing everything that's going on, it's it's exhausting. Like, I'm tired. I can't. You know, I've seen so much of it over these past couple of years, and um, like we were talking about the last time we were talking about um, uh, racial profiling and how. You get profiled just by being an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. But then when you're an athlete, you're a black athlete, you gotta deal with even more of that. Um, I've experienced a little bit of you know racism, some profiling in my life. My first experience, I was uh, actually working here at the Valley Plaza. First job I've ever had, working in a shoe store. Um, take my break, I take a 30 minute break every time I'm working, and I would go into this particular, this hat store, right? Go in there on my break all the time. There's one time, didn't have my work clothes on. I go into this hat store. I'm browsing. And, you know, I've never had to be conscious about, like, I'm just browsing. Yeah. Right. And it's not your first time in this it's store. It's not my first time. Not How my first time. I, I was 16. 16. 16. Didn't have my work. Like, my ba- I usually have my badge on. My name didn't have it on. Just taking my break. And I walk out of this store. And then I'm met by security officers, police, whatever. They're accusing me of theft. All these, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, I, you know. I'm on my break, right? I got to go back to work. I'm telling them I work in the mall. They're telling me I, I don't, right? So we go back to the store. Like I, They catch me in the food court, right? I'm eating. You got to come back. Guy's accusing you of such and such. Gave this this like great description of me. Says that he has me on video and all these things. So we go back to the store and I'm like, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm like, no, I work in the mall. Like, why would I, you know, mm-hmm. be doing anything? Go back. We look at all this footage. It's literally me looking at hats, putting them back, looking at hats, putting them back. And then I leave and he's the guy's like, where, where is it? Like, where I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have anything. If you look at the film, you can click the hat that you're talking about. It was back up there, right? It was like behind another hat. Like he was, he was asking about one particular hat. I had put it back behind another one. So I go back in there and we find it. And the guy, like, what bothered me about it at this time, this is my first experience, is that the man was not apologetic whatsoever. He was certain that I was guilty of something. If it wasn't theft, it was that I was thinking about stealing or whatever. You know what? Like, whatever it was, I was guilty in his mind because, and to me, to this day, it was because I'm black, right? I don't think anybody else with their skin color would have had that same experience just browsing in a hat store. Um, But that was probably my first experience with just somebody you know, blatantly. judging me just blatantly. And like when I got to Canada, I thought it might be a little bit different. It was a little bit more refreshing for me going up there because it's kind of a melting pot, especially me starting in Toronto. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different faces and I've been to other places like the deep South. And I always tell people like in California, we kind of live in like a little bit of a bubble. Um, the people that are racist is not as blatant as it in, is in the South, right? You'll see Confederate flags flying in people's houses and stuff like that. And it's just completely overwhelming. Like if you've ever been to Louisiana and places like that um, versus out here, it might be a bumper sticker. You know, it won't be as blatant, but it still, it still exists. And in Canada, it's a little bit different because there's a lot more people, but there's still people of my, my skin complexion, right? And those people have to deal with the same things that we have to deal with in our country. But it's hmm. it's not as prevalent, I wanna say the cops aren't as brutal. You know, I don't. I haven't, I haven't experienced that when I was up there. I was kind of a, a relief for me because I felt like I knew one cop there 
And this is the first time I had a little, I got a little bit educated on it is that like their, th their threshold for becoming a cop, you have to have a college degree, mm. right? Off the top, you gotta have a college degree and you gotta be trained. I think here it's like a few months. Six months. Yeah, a few months before you gotta have like a year's course and all, all these different things to become a cop. There's no quota to be met. So they're not constantly pulling people over for no reason, looking for mm. things to do. And when I learned about all these things about the laws, I'm like, why wouldn't we do that? Yeah, I never knew that. You know, and that's that's what made it really refreshing for me. And I'm just like, wow, that's it's crazy. Like you can be walking down the street, cops don't bother you, they're not asking you what you're doing because they don't have to, right? They only have to police what they have to police. <clears throat> I know people that are um, a little bit different, like in Quebec, French Canadian, um, uh, the black people in that culture have experienced racism and have told me about it a little bit differently. <clears throat> um, I can't get into that, but like a man, like I said, it's it's everywhere. Yeah, I think going forward for me, I think everyone said it on the head, but this the biggest word I've heard is complacency. White privilege, a lot of white privilege is growing up, and without even knowing it indirectly, you're complicit. Oh, I don't want to get involved. It's ain't my fight, you know. Like, what do I gotta feel bad for? And and I think Arian Foster it resonated a lot with what he said. I heard him talk the other day. It's not guilt. You're masking guilt for empathy, understanding what's going on and understanding that really, if you don't be the resistance to it, you are complicit to it mm. and holding them accountable, holding people accountable to it. Isn't just, oh, I don't want to get involved. It's, it's, it's really having those dialogues, understanding, being very transparent, understanding that people should know where you stand and then that's not okay. That's not good behavior. So for me, conversations with white people, conversations with anybody, knowing where I stand is important now because it has become very divisive. It's become a situation where you can't be, you can't sit on the sidelines. I really think as these social issues grow, I didn't learn anything about until Trayvon. I didn't know anything until the Trayvon Martin. Then it seems like we've had a lot since then to where these cases haven't gone away in the last 10 years. And there's been more awareness since then. Have we really gotten better since the Trayvon Martin? That was 2010. And all the ones before that. Right. My job now is to be on the sidelines. No, you can't. I think that is out of the, out of the game plan now for, yeah, and for I being a white person. And I think that's important. You know, it's an important point is, like you said, you weren't aware of it until you saw that. And that's, you know, even what we've seen from Trayvon Martin to now how many countless others do we not know about exactly. right and you know and i think that's part of the issue now you know i'm i'm a i don't really care for the whole social media thing you know television the news cycles everything's been convoluted but at the same time had it not been for the social media and the media cycle we we may not know all of these things that are going on and it wouldn't be getting the attention that it's getting the much needed attention that it's getting because you go back to the civil rights movements it, it was there were a lot of people that had no clue they didn't know they just went to work they went home and they weren't paying attention to it Right. right. I'm a, and, I want to touch on two things these guys said. And just on that, and my experience, I didn't even know what was going on until I saw Emmett Till on a Jet magazine. You got, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm yeah. a senior person. No, here. I'm with you on that, that one. Was, I saw Emmett Till and I was like, oh, wow, this so, is real. It's so. That's when it first hit me as a child. 
Yeah. You know, because like you said, because we didn't have the media, yeah. we didn't know. Yeah. yeah, You know, but two things you guys both, you know, Art and AJ, you guys talked about. One is, you know, in your experience, everybody came to you, and he is a big guy, big guy. And here's the mm -hmm. problem. So we talk about there's blatant racism. There's no doubt about oh, it. Yeah. You go to different places, you're gonna get it. And what my experience is, even when a big guy raises his voice in the room, African Americans are very passionate people when they speak. And sometimes when you're a big guy in the room, and this has happened to me several times, you're a big guy, you're a muscular guy, you're a football player. I've been told that you're this big football player. Mm -hmm. And you're speaking and you start talking and you get passionate, then other people go, oh man, he's the angry black man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if that is a threat, it's a threat just being big. Mm -hmm. I have to. T I have a younger son whose stature is like mine. Yeah. I have to talk to him about that. That's sad. And see, Dude, I just I just get told I'm passionate. Yeah, you just get told you're <laughs> you know? passionate. I'm like, man, angry... why are you so opinionated and right. passionate? Yeah, I'm not dangerous. But I'm the angry black man who could go in and just go kill right. everybody in the room. Just God, I'm just right. passionate about what I'm saying. Yeah. So you, that's a that's a form of racism. Yeah, it is. That's an implicit bias. Mm -hmm. And then you know, AJ's talking about the police. It's like you're right. In this country, it takes six months to get to become a police officer. It takes longer to become a barber. It takes a year to become a barber in this country. I was just talking to one of my good friends, yeah. and he was and he's a white man. And he said, that's a shame. Mm -hmm. It takes teachers a year to become a teacher. It takes a cop six months to become a police officer. You can't find out every single thing about a person's character in six months. Nope. Because then you put them in the situation, which is a high, intense, stressful situation, which all of us understand because in athletics, we know how to adapt. We've been doing it for mm -hmm. years. You take the average person and put them in that same situation. They gonna they're not gonna respond. You like don't. We do. You don't pass the ball to them. You don't exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We so it. I mean, it's when I say when I so for me, it's not just the injustice that we see. It is deep. Yeah. And it runs deep mm -hmm. in everything that we do. And I just want people to wake up to that part. Because so when I hear people talk, you know, like you said, when I hear people go, oh, those people over there, they're just tearing stuff up. I'm like, yeah, they are. But they're angry. Mm -hmm. And when you're and I'm sorry, when you're not educated and you're angry, it's, I, I always give this example of my kids. Kids, we are they are protesters when they're young. They, they start off protesting at the age of three. You guys, I ain't getting at you in the store. They fall out. I'm moving. Uh, I ain't moving. We do that. The kid, kids do that. I used to call them angry protesters when there was three. So when you get up older, yeah, you know better, but you still protest. When you don't feel like you being heard, mm -hmm. what do you do? You protest. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I don't, and after a lot of conversations over it, like you said, Trayvon Martin, you keep having them over and over again and people ain't getting it. And then you get a George Floyd. It's like, how many times am I going to have to have it? What else do I need to do now to get your attention? It is sad that it takes people, which I don't agree with either, tearing up other people's property to get attention. But that's the reality because there's been so many conversations had for years mm -hmm. and nothing's coming. We're still telling our kids, you got to walk. I can't. I was the same way. You're not you're not driving home. I'm taking you to school. I'm picking you up. I, I, ain't, I didn't even want to let my son ride the bus mm -hmm. with his mm -hmm. other. That makes me nervous, man. Yeah. So it's it's we gotta people gotta see it for what it is. It runs deeper than what we see. What the it's the the way it is embedded in everything yes. that we do, and people don't get that. So right. when people get frustrated, when we get frustrated, and we start going, ah, it's like 
because you see it, you deal with it every single day. And, and I, I agree with you, right? I mean, you know, the way I we were talking about this the other day, AJ, was, you know, ignorance is the fault of the person. If you came up poor, that doesn't mean you have to end up poor. If you came up in an illiterate family, doesn't mean that you have to be illiterate. If you came up in a racist family, doesn't mean you have to be racist. And again, it goes back to the complicity, right? If you're just accepting of the, of the situation it was that you grew up with, that's unacceptable. It's just unacceptable. You know, it, it, it has to come down to what we're talking about here of people understanding what's really out there. And that comes back to the education point that it's not just about education in its typical definition of education. This is a, this is a human thing that we've, we've got to get to the bottom of, and people need to understand the complexities and the reality of what's really going on. And we talk about America and we talk about how great it is to be in America, but is it great for everybody? You know, that, that's the problem, you know? And, and yes, I mean, we're able to sit and have this conversation together. That's fantastic. You own a business. I own a business. You're high up in education. You guys are playing professional sports. That's not available for everybody. And if you have the desire to make change and do the things you want to do, you can ultimately hopefully get there, but that doesn't change the conversation of what you guys have had to deal with. Right. And when we go back to it, you know, it goes back to that Malcolm X quote I was talking about, and I'm not going to be perfect in this quote, but you can't be so blind with patriotism that you're blind to reality. Wrong is wrong. And, you know, that's the conversation that we need to be having, that wrong is wrong, period, end of story. And if we continue to go down this road that we're just acceptance of ignorance, which again, I think is a cop-out, you can't be ignorant. The other thing is too, um, I think somebody here mentioned it empathy yeah you know you first have to understand before you can even before we can even take one step forward you have to be willing to stop stop talking stop defending and imagine yourself in someone's shoes and you have to sit great point you have to sit in that pain with them before you can even begin to take the first step and what I'm seeing right now what I'm experiencing is a lot of people aren't willing to sit with me People aren't willing to to sit with me and understand that I'm scared every time my kids leave the house. I see people, you know, on Facebook that are scared because their, you know, family members are going, you know, out. They're they're putting on the uniform and they're going into these riots and they're fearful for their husbands and their brothers. And of course they are. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel too. Mm-hmm. Every day. Yeah. So I can sit with you in that. I can I can meet you there. You know, but can you meet me where I'm at in this? Right. And then we can start talking. But meet me where I'm at first because I'm already where you are. That's huge. Yeah. And that's a that's a conversation I think a lot of people are having. Like, well, you know, my my brother, my sister, my whoever, they don't they don't believe in all this and they have to go out and deal with the rioting and they have to do all this. And let's not forget that there's many, many people of color that are also having to police the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's not let's not diminish that side of it. So now think about that system too of what they have to deal with on a daily basis and then still have to go out and police it and then be treated as the bad person. I mean, there's just so, it's so complex. It's so complex. And I think, I mean, Jen, it's so on point to talk about that side of it, that this is a small point in history that those, 
you know, those people are dealing with this scenario and they're sitting at home going, oh my gosh, my, my brother, my husband, my sister, my aunt, my uncle, whatever. But it's not every day for their entire lives. It's not. Yep. And that's something too, like I have friends who are in the BPD. Mm-hmm. I have friends that are, that are police officers and correctional officers, you know, and, and, you know, they feel the same way. Like, man, like this stuff has to stop. But yet, even if they have those views because they're wearing a uniform right now, it's a dangerous time for them too, because yeah, it's their job. Everybody, yeah. Everybody is, is, is sick. Everybody's tired. Everybody's hurting, you know, but it's also their job to try to go out there and, and keep the peace. Right. But at the same time, you know, you see stuff happening to these officers, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I check up on them like, Hey bro, like, I just want to, you know, like yeah. reach out, tell you, you know, I hope you hope you're safe today. You know, some of them that had to go to LA, they got transferred from here to had to go to LA because oh, they were requesting more officers and it's crazy there right now, you know? Yeah. So, and then just the fact about, you know, being a mother, you know, being a parent at this time, mm. my mom, he, literally yesterday, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to head out. I'll be back, you know? And she's like, wait, well, come here. And I'm like, well, what's up? You know, she was like, well, where are you going? And I was like, oh, I'm just going to run to the uh, vitamin shop. And it, it was weird because I'm a grown man, you know, like mm-hmm. my mom hasn't ever asked, like she hasn't told me like, Hey, where are you going? And, or like really in a long exactly. time. And, right. and right now is, is a time to where she's the, she, the mom, the mom, you know, the mental awareness is like, Hey, look, like, you know, order it on Amazon. Like, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> you know, she's like, where are you going? Because she recognizes obviously all this stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. We've seen videos of even here in Bakersfield of, you know, national guard people here, and all the stuff going on and people get thrown to the ground, you know, and yeah. she's worried for my safety, you know, yeah. and it just makes me think of like, man, like this stuff needs to stop now because, you know, now I have a little baby niece, mm-hmm. you know, my sister just had her baby. My little baby niece said, I don't want her to have to experience this stuff. I don't want my kids. I don't have kids yet, but I wouldn't want my kids to, to experience these things, you know, the mm-hmm. stuff that I've experienced, you know, and, and I'm sure my dad, my, my dad has experienced stuff maybe worse you know, or, or, or that I have, because, you know, the time he grew up, you know, he's born in the 70s, so it's right. not too far off. Or his father. You know, and mother. yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of go back and I, and I empathize too with the, the parents because yeah. I, you had two boys, you know, one 19, 13, you said. Yeah, 19, and as a father, as a parent, as a mother, your kids are going out and you're like, wait a minute, you know, like <laughs> one, it was the pandemic, like, okay, I don't want you to get coronavirus, stay inside. And now, now it's this, like, you yeah. know what? Now I don't even want you to go to the store because you might get, you know, something might happen to you. And it's like, it's just a, it's, I feel like that's an important part that we have to think about too is, and then we have to, our parents aren't even, you know, we're worried. Our parents are worried about us. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm a grown man. Like, mm-hmm. and my mom is still like, where are you going? I don't want you going downtown. Don't even go that way. If you need something, stay on this time, this side of town, you know? be safe you know and and take care of yourself yeah my son's going to get a haircut today at two o'clock and um well actually not a haircut this is another situation he's going to get braids he has big bushy curly hair and like mine and i didn't want him to get braids so i don't want him to look more black i don't want him to look more black and we had this conversation. His big brother is sitting at the table with me, and he was, and you know, he he's had his own experiences, and he's like, you know, my little one, he doesn't understand really. And my older son was like, I understand what mom's saying, mm. but at the same time, so he's going he's going downtown to get his hair braided at two, and I'm like, well, he has a lot of hair; it's going to take a long time. 
he's uh, gonna be downtown. Might be nighttime by the time he's I'll done. pick him up. I'll be there. I have to be somewhere this morning. I'll pick him up. I don't mm. want you to stay there with him. I want you to go home, and I'll be there. Mm. I mean, this is this is real. Mm. You know, and even you know, having that conversation, even going in, I've I've talked to guys going into the NFL draft. This is prior to all this, obviously, but going into the NFL draft where they're about to make millions of dollars, all Americans. They had either dreads or braids being told to cut their hair before the draft. Yeah. So, so my film's going to change because of the way my hair looks when I take my helmet off. <laughs> but that, that's, a, again, we go down to how deep is it? The systematic deep. deepness of it, you know yeah. I mean? And I've been told that multiple times playing right. baseball. And it's, and I even actually it was funny is before spring training one time we were training mm-hmm. and remember I had the, the mm-hmm. curls and everything and I cut my hair mm-hmm. and I was like yeah I got to get ready to go back you know and it's it's a shame because it's almost like conditioning in my head like I know and now I'm aware like hey I have to cut my hair yeah. and then there was a year where I didn't cut my hair and I left it out and I was told so many times by coaches by you know other people around like hey you should you need to cut your hair it's unreal I'm like but so-and-so has their hair super long you know mm-hmm. almost touching the shoulders but mm-hmm. why do i have to cut my hair aj used to have long you know? hair, hair. Mm-hmm. he's cool but yeah he's, you know exactly i mean aj you ever faced because when your hair was long uh i cut my hair for different reasons but I'm, i know i'm just saying at the time did you ever face anything like that because your hair was longer um i think i i've ran into some instances where there's an instance when my hair was long and me and christina were trying to get into a bar downtown and they wouldn't let me in, right? They wouldn't let me in, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm almost certain it was because mm. that I had dreads. Um, but then I'm out there, and then I tell them like, you know, I play football, and all of a sudden now I'm getting this great service, and yes, they're yeah. walking me to a table and all these things. Yeah. But I'm standing outside just trying to get in, just me and my girl, and I can't get in unless I'm a football player. Like you weren't right. gonna let me in based on just the way that I look. And, you know, we've been having these conversations about, you know, good cop, bad cop. And, like, I know some cop, he's black, and he's been on the front lines working 11 hours a day. And, um, like you said, it's it's the individual for sure. Um, but I think that it it's the problem that, like, the community is having is that they're not holding these police officers accountable. Right. That's ultimately what people are protesting and all this stuff is police brutality. Like these instances are going to happen. But when they do happen, what are you guys doing to, you know, stop it, to stop it, to mm-hmm. resurrect the situation, to hold these cops accountable? Like mm-hmm. the George Floyd incident. Right. There's four officers that were involved Three of them in that. Stood around. Three of them were watching, you know, two of them were laying on his legs and his back. The one guy was laying on his neck, but only the one guy is been been arrested right and i think that's why people are still protesting because there's three people that are still walking the streets or doing whatever they're doing involved and i know just in my own experience if me and three of my black friends go out and we're all hanging out and i decide that i want to do something to somebody and they're with me they're all going to go down Mm -hmm. right it's i might go down for first degree but he's going to be second third whatever just because they're there just because they're there and i think that's where it gets you know, complicated because 
they really protect the blue line. You know, they talk about protecting police officers and uh, prosecutors don't want to persecute, you know, them and all that stuff. And I think that's where people are getting, yeah. you know, un- yeah, you're but discouraging. I think that's the conversation, right? Is, you know, it, that's the part, not the only part, but that's a part that has to change. It has to. And when I saw those guys standing around, I think I, I, I know that I have a different view than a lot of other people. My first thought is, what were they afraid of? Right. That's a yeah. su- you know, leadership I, comes from the top. Are they are right. they are they being yeah. complicit or are they afraid? Right. And if that's the case, what are they afraid of? Right. What's above that that would cause somebody to stand by and watch that? Watch yeah. a murder. Yeah. Watch a murder. So a slow that's, murder. That's my question. What right. what's really going on? Right. Because I, I think it has less to do with those and people want to, you know, point the fingers at those three officers. And of, of course there's 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 responsibility there, but it had to be big. I I'm think with, it had yeah, to be no, big. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent on point with that, and that's. Go ahead, Justin. It's just it's mind blowing to me, um, just the conversations, the directions we can go. But for some reason, it for me, the hypocrisy of America comes up a lot right now. Um, in terms of the protests, in terms of police brutality, you know, is this the first protest we've had 2020? No, it's not gonna be the last. Have we had many silent protests? The NFL was the biggest example recently. They had problems with the silent protesting, right? Oh, it what wasn't was the even... rhetoric? What was the rhetoric, rhetoric against it? Oh, you're disrespecting the flag. That's not the American way. It's not the patriotism way. It's unreal. How the hell are you going to tell someone? I don't care if color of anything. What their idea of patriotism, what their idea of America is, and since police brutality. And systemic racism has been around since the beginning of this country that it was built on, the foundation of a country built on that, how they can ignore such hypocrisies mm-hmm. and still make certain statements try to stick. Well, and that was the thing that, and I don't want to stay on this too long, so I actually want to point something to Reggie, but, you know, when Cap was doing what he was doing, Colin Kaepernick was doing what he was doing, I mean, if you actually listen to what he was saying, he was never once divisive, ever. He was completely supportive of every single person and every single side of the whole thing. He was simply saying, I am trying to use my platform to bring attention to this problem. That's all he was doing. He never once said a bad thing about anybody ever. That's the thing is so, so he was peaceful and we wonder why people are out in the streets. He gave up how many millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars he went to the super bowl as a quarterback how many people in this world have done that how many super bowls have there been 50. so a hundred quarterbacks in the entirety of the world have played in a super bowl he's one of them and he gave that up he gave that up and he was never negative to anybody and he doesn't get to play anymore so Going to the sports thing with everything you've been through, and I mean, anyone that's had the career you've had would be extremely excited and happy and pat themselves on the back for the career that you've had, regardless of who they are, race, color, creed, gender, anything. You've been very successful. But this issue that we're talking about directly affects you in more ways than anybody could ever imagine, on top of the fact that you've been coaching in a sport Right, that is dealing with these young men 
over and over and over again. How do you unite the group? How do you keep them going? How do you mentor the kids that are dealing with this on the side? Because when they go to class, when they go to study hall, when they go to wherever, 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 or a kid that's from out of town that has to come play that's not familiar with the area. I mean, all these so conversations that you've had to try to help mentor kids, the responsibility, not just pressure, but the responsibility put on you to help educate not just your two sons, but the hundreds, if not thousands, of young men you've had to coach? Well, that's an interesting question because it's like you start to adopt every single kid like they're your sons. Mm -hmm. So you're right. I mean, I've been in a situation when you're the only black coach on the staff. You become the voice for those individuals. So you sit them down. I remember, you know, just you're right I go back and think man I've had so many conversations with African-American players and like listen here's the situation here don't you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this your teammates might be away be able to get away with that you can't get away with that understand that and then in situations like this you just have open conversations and I was all and it didn't matter if you were white black green we had real conversations with my players because I wanted everyone to be feel like they were accepted we would call it real talk mm. You know, we would have sessions. I'd walk into meetings and, you know, you got black players, you got white players, you got Mexican players, you got them all. And they'd been there talking about something. And I'm like, just engaging them in the conversation. Part of the part of the problem with dealing with the young, younger generation is we don't talk with them. Like we're having a conversation. Mm -hmm. We're talking with each other. We talk at them too much. Mm. I don't talk at my players. I talk with them. And that didn't matter who it is. So when we have things like this, I just let them take both sides you give me your side and you give me his side you understand where he's coming from yeah i get where he's coming from coach you understand where he's coming from yeah guess what let's go get it done hmm. that's the one thing about athletics you i'm telling you the athletics is the purest form of getting people all together for one common goal that you can get because when you walk in that rocker room everybody's about winning right but the other thing is this and this is something that i experienced and i think why we have to continue and it drives me crazy when they start talking about dropping athletic programs it's like, where else do you have people from different backgrounds all working together to one common goal and they work hard? It's like, I remember times, players running and you guys all know, you're at 22, 200 yard meters and I'm dying, right? Right, right. <laughs> you could be black, green, orange. Somebody was gonna, come on, man. Yeah, someone's gonna pick you up. Because yeah. they value the work that yeah. individual put or in. Or if you mess up, they're gonna pick you they up with armor up. So you right. learn to, accept each other and value each other right and that's to me when you talk about all this it's like we have lost the value of humans in this whole picture mm -hmm. we have individuals who have character flaws and they don't value people and that's why this thing has gotten so far out of control and it goes back to that so it, I mean, I, it didn't matter so yeah i would have just it didn't count i don't care drinking dating females it did, I'd have all kind of conversations with my players. Cause I wanted them to understand you're in a situation where not only you're representing yourself, you're representing your family and you're representing this institution. You know, and, and to touch on that too, not only, you know, this is coming from a white male, you having that conversation with a team that way may have been the very first time a white male in that scenario had heard any of that stuff. That may have been the first time they were ever educated on the fact that their teammate couldn't just go to the store. Right. Couldn't walk down the street with two bags in their hand because maybe one of them was stolen. 
right? That may have been the first time ever. So the amount of change, because again, going back to the athletics thing, the amount of change that has possibly most likely happened because of your conversations is limitless. Yeah. I, you know, I'm gonna give you one more example. I, I've always been, you know, and this is a sensitive subject for a lot of black people, right? The use of the N word. And, and I'm gonna be honest, when I was young, we used it. That's where I was, that's why I was raised. When every team I've ever coached, I make that very clear. I don't want black players using it. I don't want, because of this. If a black player using it, and it could be a term of endearment, that's fine. When you're in your setting, you use it. Hmm. But when you got other nationalities in the room, because if your white teammate walks up and calls you that, it's going to be a roar. It's going to be a riot in here. Hmm. And I tell them, don't use it. Mm -hmm. Use another word. Educate yourself. Say brother, because... The one, I, I, I never forget this statement. I remember when the Rodney King thing was going, right? And it was a, it was a guy in LA and he was a gang member. And he, and he made this statement about Bloods and Crips and he goes, we gotta start calling each other brother because I'm less likely to kill my brother. Hmm. Mm. He's like, I'm less likely to kill my brother than to kill somebody else. Because if I say that other word, then most of the time it's coming with some venom behind it. But when I say brother, then everybody's all like, you ain't gonna kill your brother. Yeah. So I, that was one of my things that I, I, it didn't matter what staff I was on. And I was and it's when I said it, even, and I got on coaches. I remember sitting in the meeting in the staff meeting with coaches and going, stop allowing them to say it. You have the right, because what's happened is you, that is such a divisive word. And again, mm -hmm. I have my issues with it. I read a book a long time ago that described it even with black people using it because it's we we want to use that statement as well it's our it's our word we're taking it back you can't take back power for something you didn't develop that word was developed to be divisive you can't take the power back from it that's why we got to stop using it so when you when you hear it it doesn't matter who it comes from you going you you and especially if it comes from somebody that's not Black, mm -hmm. you really gonna just pull back and go, what's going on? So that was, you talk about things that I did. I just told every athlete, don't use it mm -hmm. because it's a too divisive a word. And if your brother can't use it, then why are you using it with another brother? Don't do it. So you, you talk about as coaches, we get a lot. I heard Perry Fleck talk the other day, Minnesota. And I was just like, you know, these coaches like Nick Saban, Perry Fleck, um, uh, my man Dabo from Clemson, when you hear those dudes talk offline, you see why those players love those dudes. Because those dudes are real. And they are honest. Perry Flex said, "When I, this is about building people. This ain't about coaching athletes. I'm trying to build people. So my environment is, is for everybody. When we have something like this, I'll bring my whole team in and we're going to have a conversation about it. He goes, hey, that's, that's the way it is. And yes, I stand next to them. I'm trying to build men white green it doesn't matter if people took that approach to this whole deal as a, you know in, in everything you do you're right it's like how many people stand he stop saying i'm I, I just don't understand what to do you empathize understand where i'm coming from right that's all you want me to empathize? i empathize with those cops that got to go out and defend against people that's rioting and do all that and you know i got people i know that's cops but you got to empathize with me too yeah. right i'm hurting this deal too Right. As a black man, if we had that going both ways, it would solve a lot of our problems. But we just we miss it, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, to be honest, there's coaches that miss it hmm. and they have to be told. And somebody's got to say this ain't OK. We can't we got to hold people to a different standard. 
Yeah, and like what you said, um, it reminded me of like one of my favorite movies, the Remember the Titans. Mm -hmm. You know, they had two two races, you know, and they did not like each other, and they had no choice but to work together because you know in sports we want to win. Mm -hmm. And then through time, you know, and obviously evolution of the team and throughout the movie and throughout the training, getting to know each other, you know, you got to see like man, like okay, like hmm, we're relatable on this, you know, or you know what, like. Why was I, Why have I been brainwashed to think that you're some bad person, right? Mm -hmm. So when they come back, they're united, hugging each other, you know, and laughing and stuff. And then they come back to the world and it's separated, right? Mm -hmm. But then obviously throughout the movie, people, the, the fans and other people start, you know, coming in line because the players understood where the, each other came from. Mm -hmm. So the empathy part of it that, she, that, that Jim was talking about was like, man, like, you know what, like... If we empathize with each other, you know, and we understand, hey, look, this is where I'm coming from, then also using the team background, then you you eradicate the word, you 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 eradicate everything else that, that goes with it, right? Because society and, the, and your surroundings will have no choice but to adapt to that, you know, and have to learn, and then we can eradicate it. But that that just reminded me of that that movie, and it's a great movie and with great with a it's great based message. on a real story, real yeah, story, exactly, exactly, and it's a true story, exactly. Yeah. And people right now are so free to share their perspectives and, and they're, they're sharing it on Facebook and they're sharing it on their social platform and they're sharing it with people that share their perspectives. Yeah. Right. So they're just reinforcing, right. they're just getting that amen for yeah. their biases. And, and I think that's another thing. And then what I hear people saying, at least to me, when I do disagree is, well, you don't understand. Yes, I do understand. I'm biracial. I, I do understand. I grew up a white family. I, I, I do understand. I, I still understand. Do you understand though? Did you, I mean, when we walk out of the door, if you're, if you're non-white, when you walk, especially in our community, when you walk out of the door, we see white people everywhere. Imagine if it was in the reverse, because we, we already live in that world. We live in the world. We do understand. But if the situation was reversed, if they could reverse it and say, what would it be like? All the commercials. Yeah. yeah. All the movies. Everything. Yeah. All the TV shows. What would shows. it be like yeah. if everywhere I went, everybody was black and I was white? And yeah. the rules and the laws were designed to serve, to serve everybody else. How would that make you feel? Yeah. And if you had to take extra precautions and if you had to sidestep, step into our world. And that's, I really truly believe that that's what has to stop is people defending their whiteness because you don't need to. Right. We get it. Um, and no one's attacking your whiteness. What we're attacking is you sitting on the sidelines and being a fan. And and that's that's the issue. From from where I see it at least. I agree. I'm <laughs> I'm almost yeah. like that was a great ending right there. <laughs> that, that was perfectly said. That was perfectly yeah. said. I mean, I think, you know, all of us having the conversation at least you know in this in this form of a podcast um we've also recorded it so that we can put it out um i think it's important that that people see people sitting in a room together agreeing and having a conversation and hearing perspective because again it, it comes down like what we were just talking about there's there's people that have just for whatever reason never stopped to think about what's really happening and we were so quick to go to the defensive instead of actually looking at the entire system of what's going on that you've never thought that what if every single commercial that came on what if every song that came on the radio what if every movie ever made 
was a different race than you. And this is obviously, we're talking about white people seeing that. What if? How would you feel? What if, I mean, go down every teacher, every person of authority. What if everything that you'd been, every store owner, every shop you ever went into was a different culture of yours? That'd be like any one of us picking up and going to a foreign country. Has anybody been, you know, everyone in this room has been to a different country and you've seen that, but most people haven't. Most people haven't been outside of their town. They don't understand that of what's it like to be in a different culture and be completely clueless. Well, I just want to go home. Right? How, how many times does that happen? You know, or you, you take a young white student that says, hey, I want to go to the university of wherever, four or five states away. They come home in six months because it's different. What if that was your every single day? Those are the things that we're talking about in, in being open and accepting and, and, and just cognizant of that, I think is an important conversation to have. And I'm sure this won't be the last conversation we'll have about this, but at this time in our country's history, I think it's important that we have these conversations. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it. Hey. I'm yeah. glad you invited me. Yeah. Let's do it more often. Coffee discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>